in our research, the large majority of both women and men said that they believe that women's equal financial participation is critical to us as a society achieving gender equality. And within couples, men and women, almost 100 percent, so 98 percent of men and 96 percent of women that we surveyed in couples said that they believe that women should be more involved in the long-term finances. So the data is there. People recognize that this is really important, that it's critical for so many reasons, whether from the gender equality lens, from the lens of allowing women to unlock the life and legacy that they want, to be prepared for life's what-ifs. But it's where this disconnect that exists between what actually, what people believe is important and then what actually seems to be happening, especially because, and I, I didn't mention this earlier, actually, our research also showed that only one in five couples share equally in the decisions, in the long-term financial decision. Fierce Lab is a podcast series for women. It's powered by the Tara Wilson Agency, the agency that gets women. It's a space to focus on our whole selves, from mental health to career development to financial intelligence. To be fierce is to be confident, capable, and strong. Fierce Lab offers inspiration, tools, and community. It's where we can explore new ideas and encourage discovery. Here, trying something new is celebrated. No one has it all figured out, but together we can step fiercely into what's next. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Carrie Shuffman, director, head of the women's segment at UBS. She and her team are responsible for addressing the unique needs of women and our finances. We talk about a lot of really great information and specifically the research that Carrie and her team have done. For instance, at some point in our lifetime, eight out of 10 women will be solely responsible for their financial decisions. Another statistic that just blew me away is that 50% of women say they defer the decisions about their finances to their partner. We talk about all of this, as well as how women can have more financial participation, as well as some frequently avoided questions that UBS has identified that women tend to overlook. This is a really informative and valuable episode, and I can't wait to hear what you think. After you've listened, shoot us a DM over on Instagram, at Fierce Lab. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you so much, Tara, for having me on today. It's great to be with you. Yeah, same. I'm glad you're here. So for our listeners that don't know, guys, Carrie is responsible for the development and implementation of UBS's strategy that addresses the unique financial needs of women. And as you all know, financial intelligence is one of our key pillars, um, And so it's really exciting to have Carrie join us today. She's going to share about her role and the work that she and her team do, where they focus on the financial education and research, as well as engagement and content that helps us as women navigate our financial lives. Carrie, this is so exciting to have you here today. Let's get into it. What do you think? That sounds great. Looking forward to the discussion. Great. So... For our listeners, let's just spend a little bit of time on your background and the role that you play at UBS. Like, give us a little bit more detail about what you and your team do. Sure, absolutely. Well, 
UBS is really committed to helping women navigate their financial lives and, and prepare for their financial futures with the ultimate goal of, as we like to say, helping women achieve financial and thus overall well-being. And so four years ago, our leadership team decided to really build out a dedicated team to focus on these efforts and build out the resources, the intellectual capital and capabilities to best serve women and drive meaningful change. So my role as the head of the women's segment and, and our team's overarching goal is to help address the unique financial needs that women have across their lifetimes, whether that's through conducting research, putting out educational materials, offering special events, and more, all with the understanding, of course, that every woman is different. Every woman has different goals, concerns, different financial situations. And we really like to say, and what's been foundational to our approach is that Women are a population, right? Not a segment. It's a bit silly to call 51% of the population a segment. And so that's really informed everything that we've done. But Tara, the reality is there are specific trends that do tend to impact the population of women differently on average than their male counterparts and that impact women's financial futures. So for example, we know in the U.S. that eight out of 10 women will find themselves in a position in which they are solely responsible for managing their finances wow. at some point in their lives. Eight out of 10. That, I mean, yeah. Is the, And I think this is where you were headed with that is, I mean, is that due to the fact that we outlive the men in our lives? Is it that women are staying single longer? To, what's Both. behind that? Exactly. So I would say there's three major trends that are really sort of leading to that 80% um, number. And that's the fact that women do statistically tend to outlive men by about five years on average. The divorce rate in the U.S. hovers just below 50%. And there's many women who choose to remain single and, and rates of marriage are decreasing in the U.S. So all of those trends are sort of conspiring to lead to the fact that 80% of women in the U.S. will find themselves in a position where they have to manage their finances on their own. So even though we fundamentally believe women are a population, not a segment, that 80% of the population is a pretty staggering statistic to think about. And we want to make sure that all women are prepared to navigate their financial lives, whatever, you know, whatever that may look like for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And let's not forget about the fact that not all women are in relationships with men. And I'm sure that over time, that statistic will also surface. So you have two women in a relationship and, you know, you're not looking to Amanda to help make your financial decisions either. So absolutely. Those are all interesting trends that that add up to this 80%. Y- you mentioned that you all as a group do research. And I know that you've done an extensive amount of research regarding women and our money. So I'd love to dig into some of that and maybe talk about some of the more interesting data points and findings that you and your team have uncovered. Sure. So, you know, we've had the really fantastic opportunity at UBS as a global wealth management firm to conduct extensive research on the topic of women and financial decision making for the last four, almost five years. And we've surveyed and spoken with thousands and thousands of women and men here in the U.S. and around the world of all different backgrounds, financial situations, ages, marital status, to really understand how women approach the major financial decisions in their lives. 
And what we found is that despite the fact that women are making so many tremendous advances in many places in the public and private sector, in their communities, in climbing the corporate ladder, and the amount of wealth that women control and are on track to control over the next decade, that when it comes to personal finances, many women either aren't actively involved or are not as involved as they'd like to be. So really what that means sort of as we looked at the research to kind of just set the the stage, we started back in 2017 by looking at women who had found themselves in a position where they had to manage finance their finances on their own. So again, I mentioned that eight out of 10 statistic. And so we actually spoke with hundreds and hundreds of women who had either been widowed or who had gone through a divorce to understand what lessons they learned, what advice they'd give to other women. And what we heard was very clear in that the majority of women who'd been widowed or gone through a divorce said that they wish they'd been more involved in their finances while they were part of a couple and would advise other women to get involved now. And yet when we looked at married women, so we said, okay, you know, are are married women heeding that advice? The reality was that many women were actually not heeding that advice and not bringing that into practice in their own relationships. And in fact, 50% of women in heterosexual couples and about 40% of women in same-sex couples told us that they defer the long-term financial decisions and investing decisions to their partner or spouse and were not involved. And this cut across age and generation, race and ethnicity, background, profession, et cetera. And then when we looked at single women who were not in a formal partnership, they too reported feeling less financially confident and less knowledgeable about matters like investing than their male counterparts. So uh, again, across whether you're single and a millennial, you're married and a baby boomer, you're you know divorced and Gen X, there were all of these trends that sort of showed, regardless of where you were in your financial situation, that many women did not feel that they were as involved as they'd like to be or were choosing not to be involved in the major financial decisions that impact them in their futures. So Carrie, was there any... <laughs> information that surfaced as to why. This is the piece that I'm always curious about. Like, why as a, as a population are we deferring this to someone else or not as involved? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that's the natural question that I'm often asked as soon as I share some of those pretty surprising statistics. So we did get into the why. Each of our research reports over the last few years has sought to understand why this dynamic exists. Why do women tell us that they are less involved or that they defer to a male partner or spouse in the context of heterosexual relationships? Why do men tell us that they take the lead? And I would say it comes down to a number of different factors. The first is this concept of traditional gender roles. So many men who were married to women told us that they felt it was natural for them to take the lead that they wanted to take care of and provide that sense of financial security to their female spouse or partner. And many women in turn said, you know, truth be told, I also want to be taken care of. Another big reason was, I think, and I think this will resonate with everyone listening and and anyone, you know, male, female, no matter who you are, was time constraints. You know, we're all so incredibly busy and many couples told us that they just, they take a divide and conquer approach. And, you know, again, in the context of a husband and wife relationship, he handles X, Y, and Z, and that might be the finances and she handled A, B, and C. And that was often cited as, you know, household responsibilities, childcare, and even among 
single women, they told us, you know, I just, I have other more important things to handle. I put other aspects of my well-being ahead of my financial well-being. So there's the traditional gender roles, time constraints. And then there was also this concept of really not wanting to rock the boat, not wanting to cause arguments about money. And then I think the last was, the last reason really fell into what I would call sort of complacency. So many women told us they liked not having to deal with it. Many women told us that that, that financial matters weren't of interest to them in the cases where they deferred. And many men told us, oh, no, I handle that because my wife is not interested. I'm more interested. I have a better understanding of it. So that financial confidence piece comes into play here That's as well. what I was going to ask about because I personally go to the assumption that it's this way because someone doesn't feel confident in managing their own money and, and therefore defers to someone else because they don't want to make the decisions based on a lack of confidence. So it's not entirely that. Gender roles, time constraints, not wanting to rock the boat. I certainly get that. I sp- I've spent several podcasts talking about my my own issues there of not wanting to rock the boat and then complacency. So thank you for sharing the why behind it, because um, sometimes that's really, you know, hard to understand is why we're giving away this piece of power that mm-hmm. we have. Right. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I want to understand it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what's really important to mention here is that this is not a competence issue between the genders whatsoever. In fact, financial literacy scores conducted by many, many studies over many years have shown that financial literacy scores between the genders are, are relatively equal. So I do think the confidence piece is a big one. And, you know, you can also bring in the historical and societal context to that discussion. You know, you look at things like the fact that it wasn't until 1974 that the Equal Credit Opportunity Act was passed that finally made it so that women didn't need a male cosigner to apply for credit. You know, that was not that long ago. It was less than 50 years ago. So there's societal, historical context as well to, to bring into all of this. And and even I think women tend to underestimate their own capabilities when it comes to the confidence piece. So our research actually showed that seven out of 10 women, so 70% of women told us in our research that they believe women as a whole overestimate what's required to be financially engaged, which is which is pretty shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sure is. Well, and I want to come back to that, you know, overestimating what it takes to do it, because I know that you have some resources and tools to help women build their muscle when it comes to being competent about taking care of their finances. But before we go there, how do we get women to be more involved, to get them on equal footing when it comes to the involvement, decision-making, and management of their finances? What are some things that they can do, that we can do? Sure. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to answer your question in in two parts, because I think the first part, even more so than the how that I, I, I want to mention, is the fact that the good news is that it does seem to be that everyone, and when I say everyone, I mean men and women across society, seem to recognize that this is incredibly important. And so what I mean by that is actually in our research, the large majority of both women and men said that they believe that women's equal financial participation is critical to us as a society achieving gender equality. And within couples, men and women, almost 100%, so 98% of men and 96% of women that we surveyed in couples said that they believe that women should be more involved 
in the long-term finances. So the data is there. People recognize that this is really important, that it's critical for so many reasons, whether from the gender equality lens, from the lens of allowing women to unlock the life and legacy that they want, to be prepared for life's what-ifs. But it's where this disconnect that exists between what actually what people believe is important and then what actually seems to be happening, especially because, and I I didn't mention this earlier, actually, our research also showed that only one in five couples share equally in the decisions, in the long-term financial decisions. So to answer your question, though, in terms of how do we change this, right? And I think it's important that people do seem open to change because I think often the first step in correcting a problem is recognizing that the problem exists. But in terms of getting to a place of more equal involvement, I think for for women who are listening, you know, to figure out what, you know, what's most important to you and what's most important to you could be a goal that you have. It could be a concern that you have. And then sort of backing into the financial steps that you can take to either achieve that that goal or alleviate that concern. So, you know, maybe you want to purchase um home, right? Maybe you've been renting, you want to purchase a home. What goes into the decision to purchase a home? You know, your savings, the concept of a mortgage, all of that. Or maybe you're really concerned that you're not saving enough. That that keeps you up at night. So that means, you know, setting up a budget and really looking at your current cash flow needs, what's coming in, what's going out, what you have, what you owe, your liabilities. So, you know, I think starting with looking at specific through a specific lens of what's most important to you and applicable to your life, that can really provide the context to get more involved as opposed to thinking that you need to, you know, boil the ocean and become an expert across all financial matters to be engaged because you certainly don't. And that's, that's absolutely a misperception that exists. So, you know, I would say starting small, figuring out what's most applicable and relevant to you and your unique situation, figuring out how you like to learn, you know, is it reading? Is it listening to podcasts, watching videos, talking to trusted loved ones or advisors, And then for couples in particular, you know, our latest research, we actually asked women and men, you know, what would help bring more women to the financial table? And a lot of it just starts with having those conversations and encouraging involvement. So, you know, for for men, encouraging the women in your life, whether or not you're married to a woman, whether you have daughters or sisters or mothers or friends or colleagues, having those open conversations, money can often be a taboo topic, but breaking that down including, you know, whether it's your wife or your daughters or others in in conversations with a financial advisor or going through key financial documents together, you know, taking time to go through your current financial situation. Those are all ways in which I think we can get to a place of more equal involvement. Sure. So I want to go back to um, something you said. You talked about thinking about your goals and then recognizing the way you like to learn. I mean, to your point, you said you don't have to boil the ocean on this. I mean, start small and and tackle it however you like to. So start with what's important to you. And if that's, I'm saving for a big milestone trip, or if that's, I, I want to end the year with having made 12 contributions to my retirement account, which for me several years ago, that was a big deal. I wanted to make sure I hit those milestones every month. But decide what that goal is, is what you're you're giving the advice to do. And then think about how you want to tackle it and how you want to learn about it. And when you talk about learning, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that that's the great thing about Fierce Lab tackling financial intelligence as one of our key pillars. So 
we have live events. We have tools and resources on our website. We have this podcast where we bring experts like you, Carrie, to share your stories and your insights and to offer up tools that you and your organizations offer. And then soon, I'm really excited to share with our listeners that at the end of October, we are launching our Fierce Lab app. And inside that app will be on-demand content that women can access that are related to all pillars. But in the place of financial intelligence, we've thought about how does a woman want to learn? And so we'll have everything from articles to checklists to actual guides, audio clips from podcasts like this with you, Carrie, and they'll be able to sort by how much time they have. So I have an hour to dedicate it to this or boy, I've got five minutes. Give me a quick mm-hmm. hint. That's terrific. I, I think that's so important too. Uh, you know, even just going back to the the mention of time constraints, I think people often might feel that you know, getting financially engaged or involved is this daunting task that will take so much time. But, you know, it takes five minutes, you know, to log into your corporate benefits site and take a look at your current retirement account and to see if maybe you need to make changes or if you're, you know, putting in enough to get your company matched, if you're offered one. All of those things, I think there are so many little things that you can do, making sure that you check you know, and look at your savings account regularly or that, you know, if you have a question, if you hear something on the news about, you know, the markets or, or whatever it is that might be confusing to you, that you just take the five minutes to ask someone you trust, like, hey, what does this mean? Does it have implications for me? So I, I think that's that's terrific to hear, you know, everything that you're doing with, with Fierce Lab. Thank you. Thank you. So you've given us a lot of statistics and data points, but it's not enough for us as women to to know this information and to read the research. We've got to take action. And you and your team call this financial participation. So tell us more about this concept. Sure. Well, financial participation means exactly that. It means participating meaningfully in the major financial decisions that will impact you and your future in whatever way that best suits you and your unique financial needs, situation, goals, et cetera. And so, again, it doesn't mean being an expert or becoming more, and I say this in quotes, educated, right? On You know, it, you don't have to read financial newspapers or know how to calculate a bond yield to really be able to ask yourself a series of questions that get to the root of what your goals are for the future, what keeps you up at night, you know, whether you're saving enough, whether you're sticking to a budget that's right for you. I like to say that nobody knows your life better than you do. And so nobody knows what's right for you in terms of like your goals, your concerns, and then how to get there. And then working with a a professional, a financial professional to help you fill in those gaps and then help you actually stay on a path and develop a plan to achieve those goals or alleviate those concerns. And so we say we want women to participate more. And really that means to have a say. And as I said earlier, to take your seat at the financial table Because the reality is, you know, there's tremendous benefits for being involved in participating, being able to, you know, chart the course that you envision for yourself and your loved ones, being able to take care of your family or yourself or give back to the causes that you care about. And then there's also real costs to a lack of involvement, to financial indifference in terms of, you know, life unexpectedly throws many of us curveballs every day. And we want women to be prepared for those what ifs. Hopefully, of course, they never happen, but they might. And and the last thing that you want to be dealing with when dealing with, you know, a sudden unexpected life event or a tragedy is the finances and to have that be an additional stressor. And, And again, 
when we say participate, we're not saying that everyone needs to be, you know, intimately involved in all of the details of their financial portfolio and taking the lead on everything. It's it's okay to delegate. We all have to delegate certain things. It's the reality of the lives that we live and the busyness of our schedules. So it's okay to delegate, but it's not okay to abdicate or completely defer insofar as it's important to be involved and aware of your current financial situation, what you have, what you owe and why and how you're prepared for all of life's what ifs, you know, the positive and and the negative. I love that when you say it's okay to delegate. You know, as women, we are oftentimes so good at juggling a lot of different things. And as women, sometimes we feel like we have to take everything on ourselves. And, And to have that someone give you that permission to say it out loud, it's okay to delegate this. Just make sure that you're know that you know what you're delegating, that you're staying involved and on top of it. And to your point, you're participating. I also like that you talked about asking yourself questions. And one of the things that I know is that UBS offers this really great frequently avoided questions guide, which I think that is so helpful because there are so many questions that we want to avoid and overlook. I have a friend that she she says that when she starts to talk about money, she gets the armpit sweats. And so, <laughs> you know, you know, we tease and joke about how like we don't want to look at some of our statements or we don't want to talk about the hard stuff. And you guys hit the nail on the head that we will avoid it. So let's talk about what are some of those frequently avoided questions. Sure. Well, I I love that you're asking me that, Tara, because I I think it's such an important question. And it comes back to the fact that, unfortunately, money is still such a taboo topic. I mean, people would rather talk about so many other things that, you know, you're taught growing up or off limits at the dinner table than talk about finances. But it really is so important to have those conversations, whether with your partner or spouse, if you're married with friends or loved ones or peers, with an advisor, or even just with yourself, right? I think often people who don't want to take that first step or are apprehensive about where to begin just don't even want to think about it for themselves around, you know, sitting down and mapping out that budget or looking at their financial situation. You can't, exactly. And so, you know, I think one frequently avoided question, you know, to your point about tough conversations, you know, none of us want to think about uh, the the realities of our own mortality, right? And so one question I think that's often avoided is, you know, what if something bad happens to me or to my spouse? You know, what would we do? And especially if you have children, you know, what would happen with with the children? Who would take care of them? So I think that's one question that people may avoid. But it's so important to have a plan in place, again, because the last thing that you want to be doing in a time of crisis is figuring out the plan. You want to be able to say, okay, I have this plan. I know what to do. That doesn't take away from the grief and the stress that you'll be experiencing, but it's one less thing and one major thing less to worry about. So that's one, you know, actually sitting down and saying, I know this is uncomfortable. I know it's hard to think about and it's, it's scary, but you know, something could happen to either one of us or both of us. And, you know, what do we have, you know, is our will up to date? Do we have, you know, the proper documentation, like a healthcare proxy or, you know, powers of attorney? Do we have the right documentation in place for legal guardianship of minor children? And again, UBS doesn't provide legal advice, but there are key documents that you'll want to make sure are set up in the event of an emergency. You know, if you're no longer to make decision, able to make decisions for yourself, 
who do you want to make those decisions for you? So that's one example, you know, another example. Oh, go ahead. I'd like to build on that too. When it comes to thinking about what if something happened to my partner, something that, you know, we, we think about, oh, who will take care of the kids or do I have a power of attorney or this, but simple things like, do I know the logins to our accounts? Do, exactly. do mm-hmm. I know if my name is on the property, the home, the car, those things, you know, do, do I know the amounts of auto drafts that are happening? Can I get into the bank account? There's simple things that you need to talk with your partner, or your spouse about so that if something does happen, you know, you know, I, I, I would just, like I said, build on that as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier about being involved and aware. And that incorporates all of that passwords to the account, where everything is held, who to call, right? Who the advisors are, passwords, all of that I think is so important because you just, you never know what might happen. And then you also just, that's the last thing you want to be worrying about is, you know, what's the password to this account or trying to call and change, you know, titling and names on accounts. It's, it's, so all of that I think is, is so important, you know, even having like a dedicated place that's safely kept for where you keep that information and you both know as a couple or, you know, if if you're single, you have a trusted person that knows where everything is and what to do, you know, in the event that something happens. Mm -hmm. It's it's critically important. Correct. Correct. So I interrupted you. You were going to share a few more of the frequently avoided questions that we as women tend to not want to address. No, no, I'm so glad you you built on what I was saying. Another question often that I get and that we hear is, you know, how do I talk to my partner or spouse about finances constructively without, you know, causing an argument or feeling stressed or defensive? And I think that, you know, that's that's another piece, especially if you haven't been having those financial conversations previously. It can be really hard to figure out where where to dive in. So I think that's where having those money talks setting up time so that those conversations don't have to be contentious, so that you open up, you know, a clear and honest line of communication, I think is so important. And then, you know, it's, it's about how, how you kind of approach that situation, right? You're not questioning the decisions that anyone has made. It's really about coming back to, you know, I want to make sure that we or I am okay in the event of the unexpected. And, you know, going back to that statistic I mentioned earlier, around men who told us that they want to provide that sense of financial security to their wives and women who said, you know, I want to be taken care of. Let's flip what it means to be taken care of and to be secure on its head, right? It's not just about the material things, you know, can I stay in my home? Will I have enough money to maintain my lifestyle or afford the things that I need to afford for myself and my family? It's it's exactly what we were just talking about before. It's, am I going to, you know, know what to do? Am I going to be able to figure out, you know, who to call, access the banking, the bank account information? Is my name on the, you know, the deed to the home? All of those things, I think, tie into whether or not we are okay in the event of an emergency. So if we can flip that on its head in a, in a productive and you know non-confrontational way, it's really about making sure that we all feel secure for you know whatever life may throw at us. So I think that's a great way to broach it. And then to just say, you know, I want to have a better understanding so that I can help contribute to, you know, the goals that we have for ourselves and our family and understand how we're going to achieve those, I think are are ways to really broach and start that conversation. Mm -hmm. 
Now, UBS has a really great quiz and you can go to, I believe you can find this at ubs.com backslash women. And the quiz is called Money Moves, right? Yes, exactly. And you can access it at ubs.com slash women, or it's also on ubs.com slash my money move. I love it. So let's talk about what that quiz helps us identify. Sure. Yes. So we developed that quiz. It was a a massive team effort a couple of years ago, really to answer the question of, you know, where do I start? Where do I begin? Because that was a a major finding from our research that many women who weren't as involved said they simply didn't know where to start. And so the quiz is really meant to be that starting point. Or if you are already involved and you want to take that next step, it can also be a great resource for that as well. And so the quiz really is, it's not technical at all, which I love. And it really is meant to tell you your money language, as we call it, which is really your learning style. So, you know, how do you learn what motivates you so that you can then figure out the best next step to take toward that greater level of financial participation? So, you know, maybe you're a visual person and you're motivated by making the world a better place, right? So the algorithm of of the quiz would then maybe recommend a video around philanthropic giving and sustainable investing, or, you know, let's maybe you're, you're kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum. You're uh, a numbers person and you're really motivated by concrete, tangible goals. So maybe for you, the quiz would recommend a budgeting worksheet or a financial planning and goals guide. So that's really what the quiz is meant to entail. And then from there, it'll actually recommend resources uh, and materials based on what is most important to you for you to, you know, begin learning or take that next step or kind of interact with more materials on topics that are identified as important to you. So Carrie, we've spent a lot of time talking about maybe the woman that isn't as comfortable with her finances and isn't as involved and isn't participating as much. But I know that there are women that are. And so let's kind of switch gears and let's talk about If you're already on your financial game, but you're looking to go to the next level, let's talk about what some some things that those women can do. Is it now like seeking out a financial institution that like fits your needs? You talked earlier about developing a relationship with a financial advisor to help you um, meet your goals or work toward and keep you accountable to your goals. What are some of those things that if a woman's like, hey, I am on it, now I'm ready to go to the next level. What are some of those things she can do? Sure. And and that's a great question because, again, there are many, many women who are actively engaged and involved in their financial lives. And so, you know, for those women, I think the first thing that our research has shown is that there's a tremendous opportunity, again, going back to talking about money and breaking down the taboo, to share what you know, to have those more open money conversations with friends, with loved ones. So that's that's one thing that we often talk about is sort of paying it forward. But then more broadly, in terms of your own unique financial situation, you know, what's the next topic that you want to learn about and how are you going to do that, right? You know, maybe you have a really good sense for your portfolio, you're making investment choices, but, you know, with COVID, you've really rethought your values, you want to align your your investing uh, with your values. So you want to have a conversation about maybe ESG and sustainable investing, or you want to think more strategically about how you give back to the causes that you care about. Or you want to really, you know, do a deep dive as you approach retirement into modeling out the different scenarios that will allow you to maintain your lifestyle in retirement. 
And that's where I think, to your point, Tara, a, a financial advisor can be a really terrific resource to help you take that next step and to help put you on a path toward um, achieving those those goals. And, you know, financial advisors not only can help you obviously define your goals and, and risk tolerance and sort of more of the traditional things that we think of when we think of a financial professional, but they can also create that comprehensive financial plan across all different assets, uh, elements of your wealth. So your assets, your income, your debt, they can help you with, you know, advice for different life stages, structuring your investments based on where you are in your life cycle, you know, starting in your career, raising a family, approaching retirement, asset allocation, you know, what are the right investment strategies, risk management, contingency plans for some of those what ifs we talked about earlier, you know, protecting your assets. They can also help you sort of weather any market fluctuations and even more complex things like wealth transfer, trust and estate planning strategies, insurance. All of that is something that, you know, a financial advisor can help you with. And, you know, finding the right person for you is obviously that a, was a critical piece question. of that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, because it's this is a very intimate process. You you are opening up your your financial books and you're showing someone where you are and you may or may not be where you want to be. And that can be a that can be tough. And even if you are, as we've discussed, people are really funny about money. It can be a taboo subject. And let's say someone has accumulated a lot of wealth, but perhaps people don't know it, you know, and and so they like to be very private about that. So how does a woman go about finding the right financial advisor for her and and then getting comfortable sharing all of this information about herself? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, you know, finding someone that you trust in the same way that you find any other trusted professional that you know, helps you in your life, an expert, whether it's a doctor or an accountant or an attorney, you know, finding a financial advisor, it's the same process in terms of you want to work with someone whom, with whom you feel comfortable, um, that you understand, that, that understands you and your goals and your concerns. You know, often I think, you know, you may want, you may find that working with someone that someone that you trust has worked with is a good way of sort of vetting a person and then feeling comfortable asking them questions, right? How does that advisor help clients define their goals? How do they help them pursue what matters most? How do they measure success? Those are all important questions. One of my favorite questions. How do you measure success? I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, understanding the fee structure, all of that, I think, is really, really important. And then, you know, you want to be with someone for whom, you know, when you ask those questions, it's okay, right? You want to feel comfortable asking questions. And and I think, you know, it's, it's a very, it is a very personal relationship, but it, it also has to be to be able to be an effective and, and productive relationship. So that's where you need to at least first establish that comfort. But, you know, a financial advisor is going to be able to best assist you if they understand your full financial picture. And and often that's not even, again, it's not just about the dollars and cents or the exact, you know, financial piece. Although, of course, understanding someone's net worth, their assets, their liabilities is critical, but also understanding what motivates someone. So, you know, working with an advisor who wants to understand what your goals are, you know, what keeps you up at night. I think all of that is is really important. And, you know, being able to, and, you know, again, you don't have to do it all at once, but starting small and starting to open up about, you know, this is, you know, my current financial situation, or this is how, you know, money was for me growing up, or this is what I really, this is the biggest goal that I have. 
and that's the most important. And then let's kind of back into everything else. Those are all ways to kind of start that that conversation with with an expert. No matter what your wealth level or your current financial situation is, you know, experts can help really truly anyone. Mm-hmm. That's that's great advice. So as we start to wind down our episode here, I still want to dig into one group of work that you and your team have done. At UBS, you all have identified three strategies that you call the UBS wealth way for women to consider when they're thinking about their wealth, kind of in a, I'd call it a short, a long term, and then beyond that. So can we chat about those? Can can you break that concept of the UBS wealth way down? And what are kind of those layers that women should be thinking about in that regard? Sure, absolutely. So at UBS, we've developed a framework that we call UBS Wealthway, which is really a terrific way of thinking about your wealth across three key strategies, as you mentioned, that we call the three L's. So that's liquidity, longevity, and legacy. And interestingly enough, Tara, in our research, we actually found that over 80% of women thought that that framework and thinking about their wealth across that, those three strategies made a lot of sense for them and their own financial situation. And so to kind of deep dive on that, liquidity really means, you know, the needs that you have, let's say for sort of right now into the next maybe two, three years. So your cash flow, you know, what you have coming in, your current needs, maybe some wants, any major purchases that you have that are sort of imminent. And that's really your liquidity needs. Again, it's sort of that short term those short-term considerations that impact your day-to-day over the next couple of years. Longevity needs are really the needs that go maybe three to five years out and then beyond through the course of your lifetime. So that could mean, you know, maybe buying that dream second home by the beach that you've always wanted in the next 10 years. Or of course, retirement would fall into that. Putting kids for through un- college. Yep, exactly what I was just, exactly. You know, putting kids through college or you know, paying for unforeseen medical costs or helping to support aging loved ones with their care financially. All of that, I think, would fall into that longevity bucket in terms of needs that you expect that you may have, let's say, again, five years out through the course of your lifetime. And again, I think longevity sounds like, you know, the long lifespan, but you can start thinking about your longevity considerations at any point, no matter where you are, who you are, whether you're, you know, 22 and starting your career, you know, 40 and navigating your family or, you know, 65 and approaching retirement or even beyond. So that's the longevity uh, strategy. And then legacy is really the needs that extend beyond your own. So giving back to, you know, family, children or, or communities and causes that you care about, your philanthropy, the values that you have and that you want to pass on to others how you align, again, your wealth with your values, you know, into the future. So that would be that legacy strategy. So again, liquidity, longevity, and legacy. It's really a great way of thinking about your needs, your wants, your wishes, you know, again, sort of right now into the future Mm -hmm. and then beyond. Mm -hmm. I like that. And that's a really, to your point, great framework that where we can think about how our finances layer in to our life cycles and when and where we need to be thinking about things. That's great. Carrie, this has been such a a great conversation. You have shared so many tips and tools and insights and then, of course, backed it up with the data and the research, which I just love. So thank you for giving us all of this really good information 
on financial planning, financial participation, and what that can mean for women. But before I let you go, I ask the same question of all my guests. And so I close with this question for you. What does the word fierce mean to you? Oh, that's such a good question. I think being fierce or the word fierce means being an advocate for yourself, but also an advocate for others. And, you know, even just tying back to the own your worth conversation, you know, making decisions and taking an active role in the things that are most important to you and the people around you in a meaningful way and not shying away from, from taking that, that role and being involved in, in those things. So that's what I would say uh, the word fierce means to me. I love it. And I love the part about owning your worth. Mm -hmm. Carrie, thank you so much for your time today and your insights. I have enjoyed talking to you. I've enjoyed talking to you as well. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on, including UBS and our women's segment research in your podcast series. It's, it's truly been a pleasure and I look forward to continuing to do more with, with you and, and Fierce Lab. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fierce Lab. If you did, I would appreciate it if you would subscribe and maybe share it with a friend. You can always follow us on Instagram at Fierce Lab.